Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise God. Aren't you thankful that you made time to be here? Amen. Made time to be right here, right now, in the presence of the Lord. In the book of Genesis chapter 7, I want to turn your attention. We're going to read a couple of verses here. Verses number 15 and 16. The Bible says in Genesis 7, 15 and 16. And they went unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Amen. They moved and the Lord shut them in. I want to speak tonight for just a little while on this subject, favor through obedience. I've just watched a common thread just by observation in my life of serving the Lord. I've, I've watched people that just seemingly the hand of God's favor was upon their life. That doesn't mean they were millionaires. doesn't mean they drove the nicest car or lived in the biggest house on the block. But just the hand of God's favor was upon them. Amen. I, I, I began to pray many, many years ago when I began to see this come to light. I began to pray in that fashion. Not that God would just bless me or God would bless you or bless our church. But I've prayed specifically for years for God to give us favor. Amen. That favor doesn't happen arbitrarily. I believe that favor is something that follows a life of obedience, whether that is individually or corporately. God honors people that will obey his word. Amen. God bless you and thank you for your connecting to the spirit of the Lord tonight. You can be seated and let's just make a journey here tonight. I mentioned the life of Noah a few weeks ago and spoke about, of course, this all-familiar story. But we read this story and have to understand that there is far more depth here than just a story that would entertain children in children's ministry. But Noah and his family watched in amazement as every kind of land animal fathomable voluntarily boarded this ark violating every fiber of their nature for the most part and they walked two by two now that was nothing short of a miracle absolutely nothing short of a miracle and when every animal had loaded then Noah and his family and at this moment they were about to experience yet another miracle according to Genesis 7 and 16 the Bible says when they went in, that the Lord shut him in. The door 
that single door that God had instructed Noah to build was now sealed by nothing less than the hand of God. Now I find it sort of amazing like many other passages of scripture that there are so few details about this miraculous moment. Amen. This incredible moment in time in all of history it is summarized with just five words. The Lord shut him in. That had to be an incredible moment if we could just freeze that frame right there. All the animals are aboard, the hustle and the bustle. His family is aboard and now God himself has shut Noah and his family in. in. This would indeed be the end all or the tell all of the last several decades. Perhaps the silence that followed the shutting and the sealing of this door had to be deafening. But then it happened. It happened just exactly like God said it would. The rain began to fall. The earth was not flooded, of course, just from water from the rain because the scripture specifically speaks about two sources of water. Not only was there rain from heaven, but the scripture says that the fountains of the great deep and the windows of heaven were open. So just like the rain came from above, the earth yielded its water from beneath and released itself, and that ship began to take float. The rain never stopped for 40 days. However, when it did stop, Noah knew in that moment that God's judgment had ended. However, that was not the end of the story. The destruction that Noah and his family witnessed no doubt had to be hard to imagine. In our world, it is not uncommon, sadly, to see great storms, not only hurricanes in the, in the Gulf regions of our, of our nation or in the, the coastal regions of our nation, but the tornadoes that can devastate portions of our Midwest. We stand hard, and it is hard to unfathom that that, that much destruction can come into one city, one area, and it can come for miles, but that would pale in comparison to think about the destruction of the entire earth. Nothing in the world had ever happened on this magnitude. There had never been such devastation. It seemed that all was lost except for the truth of ten powerful words that are found in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 8, and that is, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I'm thankful for the grace in the eyes of the Lord. Another translation says Noah found favor in the sight of God. There it is, that hand of God's divine favor that was upon his life. It was not happenstance, of course, that God spared Noah and his family. During several Wednesday night Bible studies in the month of May and June, we looked into how God's favor was upon men and women who chose righteousness in their life. They allied themselves with the spirit of righteousness. Others we considered whose lives have been woefully changed by their commitment to the call and the cause of God. And tonight I want to just link to that and talk about those that have committed themselves to be obedient to the word of God. The power of just saying yes is one thing. But to walk in that obedience mile after mile after mile. 
Amen. Tonight, centering our attention around the fact that Noah not only heard from God and not only began a project of great magnitude, but he walked continually in, in obedience to that. Now, the reason that Noah's family was spared from God's judgment is because Noah simply was just obedient to what God said. It wasn't a feel-good moment in a moment of inspiration, but he sealed that in his heart and said, God, if that's what you're asking of me, then this is indeed what I will give. The importance of this, I do not believe, could possibly be overstated. In fact, the biblical account emphasizes twice in Genesis 6, 22, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded, so did he. And then again in Genesis 7 and 5. And Noah did according unto all the Lord commanded him. Noah's obedience was anything but whimsical. This was not just a moment of, Oh Lord, if that's what you want me to do, then that's what I'll do. Now, all of us may have a whimsical start, but at some point we got to make up our mind that when the glow of the Holy Ghost begins to fade, amen, when, when the moment of this begins to tone down, I'm still going to be committed to what God placed in my heart. There's a passage of scripture I mentioned not all that long ago about uh, as, as Moses came down off of the mountain and his face was veiled. And that is dealt with in the New Testament because the, the glow that was upon his face or that that was happening in his, in, his, in his physical human body was beginning to fade already. Can I tell you that no matter how wonderful this service is tonight or Sunday or the last one or the one coming up, somewhere life is going to chip away at that. And i got to be determined that I'm not trying to survive on the last chill that I felt go through my soul, but I'm trying to survive and I'm determined to survive on the commitment that I made to God. Noah's obedience was not a whimsical thing. It was not a fairy tale moment. This was the consequence of a relationship that had been established long before the flood ever arrived. In this story, there are three areas of Noah's life that I think we see at center stage. I think, of course, we see the righteousness of Noah. No one would dare speak against the righteousness of Noah. We see Noah's commitment and we watch now the fulfillment of the promises of God as an end result of his obedience. And you can't have one without the others. I believe that Noah's example is vital because he is the first Bible character who had this kind of interaction with God. And this kind of interaction resulted in this special favor and this covenant relationship that Noah and God had. Noah, I believe, set a pattern for us to follow. And that spirit of obedience is so key to what the Lord would have unveiled in this in the very hour in which we're living. I'm going to try very, very hard to stay on track tonight. But my mind all day long in, in preparation for this evening has just drifted again and again to people, not just Bible characters, but to people that I know or either know of who just walked in obedience to what the Spirit of the Lord had laid on their heart. And because of that, 
many of us that are in this building, wherever you come from, whatever your background may be, whatever your story is, you are here tonight because someone heard the word of God and chose, I'm going to do more than just, I'm going to do more than just shout. I'm going to do more than just say amen and raise my hand. I am going to commit myself to this. This is not a Sunday, Wednesday thing for me. This is not a camp meeting, a general conference thing for me. This is not a revival thing for me. But on Monday, when I'm having the toughest day of my life, amen, on Thursday, whenever I get news that just shakes my world upside down, I'm committed to walk in this way. Because they kept walking, because they started walking and they kept walking, we are where we are tonight. It's hard to fathom in our mind, in our finite mind, but do you know that by virtue of you being in this house tonight, still committed, still obeying what God had spoken to your heart so long ago, that your life and your testimony and your witness is going to impact the lives of someone else and they are going to be moved, moved to the point of repentance, moved to the point of baptism, moved to the point of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Obedience. He said a pattern. It's so easy to talk about being obedient. Oh, so easy to talk about many, many things. But I believe the real proof is found in action. There's an old saying that said, actions speak louder than words. Obedience is demonstrated. It's not just something we profess. We can't say I will. We have to I will. We, can't, we can easily, it's just so easy to say anything. Sadly, words can become hollow and meaningless, but, but the biblical picture of loving God is found not in what we say, but in what we do. And when God rescued the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, they journeyed to a desert place. And while at Mount Sinai, they established a covenant relationship with the Lord. And the law of Moses called on people to love God with all of their being. In Moses' final address to the people, he made multiple, multiple appeals that they would love God by obeying his command. Not just raising your hand, not a point or a place of confession. But when Noah's successor came along, Joshua, he repeated this same emphasis to the people. In Joshua 22 and 5, he recorded things like this. Love the Lord your God and walk in, his, in all his ways and keep his commandments. And so this concept of giving God your all, giving God your everything, start in this way, walk in this way, finish in this way. This is not just a concept that is locked somewhere within the pages of the Old Testament. No, we can turn to the Gospel of John and we can read these words that said, If you love me, Keep my commandments. Amen. If you love me, you will obey. Therefore, the proof that we love God is found in our obedience to his word. It's not what we say, but it's really what we do. You ever had anybody say, I'll be there? That didn't mean anything until they showed up. When they showed up, that, can, that sealed the deal, that confirmed the commitment. When we obey God, then his favor and his love, when we walk in that, when we begin to obey his truth, then favor comes upon our life. In the, in the story of Noah, we see things that I believe underscore the favor of God on his life. Because not only did he build an ark in absolute obedience, 
But he also lived in that ark until God gave him a sign to leave. Now, there could be multiple messages here, but I believe one thing seems abundantly clear, and that is this, that in our obedience to God, we are going to have to understand the value of patience. We don't know exactly how long it took Noah to build the ark, but it was not a quick project. Many think that there were several decades devoted to this mere simple commandment. If you just read it, it doesn't take but just a few seconds to read the commandment, but it took decades of his life to fulfill that. He stayed committed and he stayed patient throughout the process. But true to his word, the construction was complete, the flood came, Noah's family spent what appears to be, according to Genesis 8, somewhere around a year living in the ark with all the animals after the rain stopped. Now that's a, that, that is an extremely long time to stay cooped up. <laughs> when my wife and I came here and took the pastor of this church, we were full-time evangelists and had a travel trailer. And uh, so we had been traveling, living in a travel trailer for a few years, and it wasn't a big deal at all. And so we decided that we were going to just live in our travel trailer for a little while and until we could accumulate a few things. But we found out real quick that there's a difference between traveling in a travel trailer right. and living in a travel trailer. A rolling stone collects no moss. When you're traveling, you're traveling. You're just moving. You're, just, you're so mobile until nothing sticks to you. But when you stop, <laughs> anybody ever heard the word purge? <laughs> There's a reason. You stop too long. And so when we think about the patience of Moses, not only in the ark, but after it stopped raining, it took a little bit more endurance to get through, but he remained patient while he waited for further instructions. And so sometimes God calls us to do things that can be accomplished very quick. We can do that in the snap of a finger, but other times God may give us an assignment that takes much, much longer. I was reading a little bit of this book today, but author Eugene Peterson wrote a devotional book on uh, what's referred to as the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are the Psalms, uh, Psalms 120 through Psalms 134, and you can read those Psalms of Ascent. But in his devotional, author Eugene uh, Peterson encourages his reader to slow down and just reflect, just take some time to smell the roses, so to speak. And I think the title of his book tells it all. The title of his book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. In this book he writes the following. He said, the people that I lead want shortcuts. They want me to help them fill out the form that will get them instant and eternal credit. They have adopted the lifestyle of a tourist and they only want to see the high points. But as a pastor, he said, I'm not a tour guide. I have no interest in telling religious stories about sacred sites. And he said, because the Christian, because the Christian life cannot mature under such circumstances. Life is not a tour. We can't just blow into a city. I often think about when you go to various cities, maybe uh, some of you have your favorites like Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg, and you think about uh, I think about often when I'm sitting in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic in those, in those arenas like that, that somebody lives here. Somebody in this line of cars is just trying to get home from work. 
or they're just trying to get to work, or they're just trying to go get a loaf of bread, or they're trying to go get a bottle of Motrin. They live there, and we're there just to see the high points. We're here just to see the leaves, and, and we wanted it peak time. We want to just be right there, but we don't want to be around when they finish falling. We don't want to be around to rake them up and to haul them off or to burn them. We don't want to be around for those kind of things. We, we just are there to see the high points. And so this is what the author of this book, Not to Belabor the Point, is trying to say, that there are people today that want the walk, a walk with God that is just like a tourist attraction. We just give us the high points. Give us a great Sunday. Give us a great Wednesday. Give us your best song. Give us your best sermon. But you see, somewhere between the song and the sermon, there's something called life. And we just have to live life one day at a time and life sometimes keeps us has us on the mountaintop and sometimes life has us in the valley sometimes life has us where it seems the hand of God has just elevating and levitating us and other times life has us where we feel the pressure and the pains and the sorrow of humanity pressing in <clears throat> when I was a young boy we lived in central Florida and we would come up here and visit our family and I remember one particular place, my, my dad always liked to take the back roads. And so I remember one particular place along this route, we would come through Brooksville, Florida, coming from the, the central Florida to here when you would come to a traffic light on Highway 98. And when you turn north, when you turn right at that traffic light, it just seems like, especially in my childlike mind, it just seemed like that road just went forever. And ever and ever, it just almost went out into nothing. And that was the worst part of the trip to me. And there were times I would just think, I don't want to see that. I don't want to look at that. If I could just, we could just avoid this one stretch of highway. There were no hills, no curves, no bridges, just straight open highway. And that, and, and, and again, I was just a child, but it was just, that was the part of the journey that I dreaded the most. I don't want to get to that point. But I, what I couldn't comprehend was this, that that portion of the journey was necessary if we're going to reach the destination. And so sometimes there are places in our walk with God where we turn north at the light and we just see that endless road and we don't know where this will end and we don't know what the outcome of this will be. I don't know when this trial will be over. I don't know when the wind will stop blowing. I don't know how hot and how dry this desert is going to be. But what I've got to understand is that if God set me on this path and if God trusted me enough to put me here, then I know this is part of getting me to my destination. I've got to hold on. I've got to be obedient because there's a favor that's going to come upon my life when I walk in obedience to him. My Lord, let's clap our hands. Can we do that? Jesus, I love you today. I love you today. I love you today. Praise your name, praise your name, praise your name, praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. As an adult, I have made that same journey. As a matter of fact, not many weeks ago, I came home that way. And I was just reminded that when I got to the traffic light in, in, uh, in, in, this, in Brooksville and I turned right, I turned north on Highway 98, it wasn't nearly as long as I remembered it being. It wasn't nearly as desolate as I remembered it being, but just somewhere in my mind. But you see, once you've made the trip a few times, it was the unknown, it was the uncertainty 
men. You get the point. Sometimes it seems that where we are is never going to end. But it will. It will. It came to pass. It will come to pass. And then God has us ready for the next chapter, the next journey, the next portion of the journey. And I believe that true discipleship requires long obedience, not just short bursts of energy, but I am committed to this. At times, being obedient to what God asks us to do is not only difficult, but at times it can be costly. But it comes with a blessing that's often overlooked. And that blessing, especially for Noah, was called safety. In Noah's case, it was his family that was safe inside the ark. I love the fact that the Bible refers to Noah as the eighth man. <laughs> Noah was holding the door, so to speak, when his family got on board. He was finally in. While the world outside was destroyed with God's judgment, the hand of God's favor was upon Noah and his life. And I, I believe we would be remiss if we fail to see the symbolism that's, the symbolism that's found here. Noah's family literally floated above the destruction of the world because simply they were obedient to what God had asked them to do. Genesis 7 and 18, the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the Bible says, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. The ark rose above, not to insult anybody's intelligence, but and, and, nor to overstate the obvious, but the ark rose above the very thing that destroyed everyone else. So when we're obedient to do and, and do what God asks us to do, then we are often spared many of the dangers and the traps that the enemy would ordinarily put in our place. People who are faithfully obedient to God's instructions do not tend nearly as often to wander off that straight and narrow path that leads to salvation. When you are committed to what God has asked of you. If you want to keep our souls safe, and, and I certainly want to do that, then I need to do what God has commanded of me. Another aspect of obedience is highlighted by the family of Noah when they joined him in the ark. I believe that if we want to experience the favor of God, then we have to choose to be obedient. We're responsible, I believe, for our own obedience, and I can't rely on the actions of others if we do what others are doing, we're going to be in the shape they're in. I can't, I can't rely on what somebody else is going to do. Amen. As for me and my house, Joshua said, I'm going to serve the Lord. And so if God is willing and God will allow me, I've already decided that Sunday morning I'm going to be right here in this house. Amen. I can't help what others are doing. I can't help what others are talking about or what others are thinking about. I've already decided if the Lord will let me, if the Lord will make it possible, if he wills it, I, as far as I am concerned, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord. I'm not going to be here with my bottom lip out. I'm not going to be here with my arms folded. I'm not going to be here to sit on my hands. I'm not going to be here to count heads. I'm not going to be here to decide what is saying or what's preached, but I'm just going to come to the house of God and I'm going to worship him because that's what he said that I should do. Amen. I can't watch what others are doing. I believe there is a strong parallel between Noah's obedience in building the ark and our obedience to the gospel. It took great faith, not minuscule faith, but great faith for Noah to build the ark to the saving of his house and for the animal kingdom at large. Most likely, Noah could not have fully comprehended at all 
what he was doing, what he was setting in motion when he started building. Just please forgive me for mentioning this again. But a few weeks ago, I was privileged to be in Pensacola and I was standing in a historical room they have in their church uh, that is in honor to the ministry of, of uh, Brother D.L. Welch. And of course, that's where my grandparents received the, ba- the, the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the revelation of the Godhead and baptism in Jesus' name. And I stood there and I'm thinking, and I, I realize I mentioned this a few services ago, I don't, I'm not slipping. I'm not, I'm not out of stuff to talk about. I'm just saying it again. In, in Otter Creek, just a dot, it's still a dot on the map to this very day. And I'll say that in great deference to anybody that may have kinfolk there. <laughs> but you can just only imagine that if it's a dot on the map today, what it would have been 70 years ago. But multiple tent revivals were held in that area where people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not only our family, but the Varnum's family was affected greatly. Who could have known? There is no way. (laughs) Just pardon me for a moment. There is no way on this planet you could ever convince me that Brother D.L. Welch, when he felt the nudge of God to go there and set up that tent, that he could have ever possibly known what was being set in motion all across the state of Florida and other places. (laughs) And so Noah could not build this ark fully comprehending what you are setting in motion. There were probably days Noah wondered if I'm doing the right thing. He second guessed if he's at all as much human as anybody in this building. There were moments he had to second guess if I really got this straight. Amen. But the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 7 in that powerful chapter of the heroes of faith that through faith Noah condemned the world and became the heir of the, heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It was through obedience in God, just walking in faith and doing what God set him set in motion for him to do. I've often said, and again, I will not try to pause many times here, but I've often thought about major and minor prophets in the Scripture that uttered words that probably made absolutely no sense to them. How could have I? How could Isaiah have possibly known? what he was really saying and how could Micah have possibly known what they were really or how could Joel have really known the power and the impact no way but an unction of the Lord that he spoke with great confidence that God would see it through and on the day of Pentecost Simon Peter would stand and say this is what that man was talking about this is that he walked in absolute obedience I'll ask our musicians to come that'll make you feel better Noah When we hear the gospel message, like Noah, we've got to respond in faith. We've got to move and be moved and be touched. I I hope it doesn't just sound like a broken record, but I, I don't ever want to lose the awe and the wonder of being in the presence of God. Never, never, never. 
There's a lot of things in life that scare me, but I don't think anything bothers me or scare, frightens me any more than seeing people that profess to have the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God is moving and they stand like a statue, unmoved, unwilling to yield to what the Spirit of God. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to be that unimpressed in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the King in the presence of that that gives life and takes life. I don't want to be that unimpressed in His presence. I got to be obedient. And so when we first start walking with the Lord, we don't understand the magnitude of what we're stepping into. How could we? How could we understand the magnitude of what of what we are doing? But we respond in faith. You know, there are men and women that we certainly consider beyond scripture that we certainly consider to be heroes today. Brother Benny DeMerchant is a name that it will be forever associated with global missions. But there would be no way of knowing or for him to know what was being set in motion when he and his wife left the comfort of their home and their homeland and went to foreign soil. No way to know what was being set in motion. No way of, of understanding what someone was doing when they went to a city and said, we feel God has led us to start a church here. We have no idea. They would have no idea of knowing what God was unleashing and setting in motion. In the same manner, I believe, as we walk with God, there's a few things that happen. I believe one of the things that happen as we walk with God, we put a greater distance between us and the things of this world. The closer we get to God, the more we understand this world's not my home. This doesn't matter. I... Just by virtue of what we're doing, we're creating a greater and greater distance. I'll ask you to stand, if you will. At the core of our pursuit, at the core of our reaching and pressing, I believe that we have to learn how to separate ourselves from the world and toward God. Now, I believe this is the key. I've watched a lot of people try to walk, just walk away from the world. And in time, that burden gets so heavy, they stumble and fall. Because you can't just keep setting things down on this side if you're not picking things up on this side. Amen. The key, you have to be moving toward God as we move away from the world and toward God. Then we begin to find things in Him, treasures. And, and I'm so thankful for the change of direction that come in my life, aren't you? <laughs> Amen. Walking one way and the Spirit of the Lord turns us around. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord that changes us and touches us. What a promise. What a powerful promise. Amen. I thank you, Lord, for the hope that we find in your word. I thank you, Lord, for the hope that we find in your spirit. Thank you today, God, for the value of what you have placed in our heart. God, that when we discovered this treasure, we sold everything we have. Because we want to purchase, we want to buy into this. We want to give ourselves completely, wholly, thoroughly to you. In the name of the Lord, can we worship him? Hallelujah. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. 
We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.